because the problem with a lot of people when they get into renovation or they get into wanting to do things like, you know, burrowing properties, they see. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Larby and you are listening to Where Should I Invest? Today's guest is Darren Voros, who has amassed a portfolio of properties worth over $10 million. And he's traveled across North America as well, educating, inspiring, and motivating audiences on the subject of real estate investing, as well as financial independence and financial literacy. He's got a great YouTube channel and has been on TV. So um, check him out, darrenvoros.com. And I will say it was a great conversation, lots of insights. He is a wealth of knowledge. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And if you haven't heard yet, my Burr Freedom community is going to be the community for next year. That is going to be what I really focus on giving the value to you guys. So if you are interested in joining the Burr Freedom community, check out sarahlarby.com and you will see that there's information there. There is live twice a month calls and we're going to go through the entire Burr process uh, in a lot of detail from single families, conversions, multifamily, and everything that you need to know about each of those and how to apply each step of the Burr strategy by renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat so that you guys can create that freedom for yourselves. So check that out if you are interested in having more information and having a program where you can actually learn for a course of a year. And some of you guys might know this, but I don't love the one day and you're done types of programs because you get back to regular life and then you forget a lot of stuff. So it's good to be you know, implicated and consumed by this, you know, the right information and the right education month in and month out. And uh, so I'm putting this together for you guys. I've had a, a lot of requests. I am limiting the spots. It is going to be a live group call, but spots will be limited. And if you are interested, again, sarahlarby.com. So on that note, let's bring in Darren. Darren, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm excited to have you on. Now you are my guest. I was your guest uh, very, uh, I think a few, couple months ago now, and uh, happy to uh, turn the tables around and ask you tons of questions. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So for those that may not know you or have seen your YouTube channel, let us know a little bit about what you do and, uh, and who you are. So um, I, I've started investing back in 2002. Not really, I would say. I, I bought my first house in 2002. Let's preface that. Um, and then I got sort of actively involved in real estate probably about four years after that. I was an actor for 15 years. I worked professionally in musical theater. And uh, so as I was doing shows, uh, I was interested in real estate investing. I worked a year over in Japan, came back with some money. That's why I bought my first house, tried to, to flip it essentially. Didn't have any success on that. Uh, not because, you know, I didn't do a good job or anything. It was just a matter of the market was 
relatively strong, but I was trying to sell a property that you no know, builders were selling basically. So I couldn't, I couldn't flip the property. So I rented it for four years and then I sold it after four years. And then I was like, Whoa, this is actually a better way to invest because I got all that rental income and I figured out that strategy was much better. So then I actively started getting into real estate investing on the side while I was working in theater. And so it was a good, it was a good mix. I was able to work at night for the most part and on weekends at my theater job. And then I was able to start buying properties during the day and, and uh, started to build my portfolio that way. So that was, uh, yeah, cut to 2020 and, and here we are. Things have changed a little bit, but essentially it's, uh, I, I've dropped the theater stuff, but the real estate investing stuff now is full time. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And, and that's why they say it's about time in the market rather than timing it. Because if you're in and out so quickly, you're leaving a lot, in my opinion, you're leaving a lot of money on the table for the strategies. So when you're able to cash flow and rent it out and maybe down the road, you want to sell it, but you're going to get a lot more, in my opinion, you're going to get a lot more lift holding onto it for the long term. Absolutely. Yeah. First property, I almost doubled my money in four years, you know, uh, which was sort of unheard of, you know, if I had tried to sell it quickly, you know, so that was mm -hmm. where I saw the power of that for sure. Time in the market versus timing the market. Awesome. So let's fast forward to today. What does your portfolio consist of and what's your strategy? Uh, my portfolio consists of mostly like small multi-units. So like duplex, triplex, although that's changing right now, we just bought, we just acquired two brand new buildings uh, in Toronto uh, that are, we're converting to eight units each building. So we're kind of going like boutique apartment building style. But for, before that, my, my portfolio really consisted of a lot of triplexes and duplexes. I did a lot of conversion, a lot of basement apartments, that kind of thing. And, and, a, and a couple of triplex conversions in Toronto and Hamilton. Yeah. I have one condo <laughs> downtown. <laughs> well, I mean, the multifamilies, the conversions, putting some, you know, rental money into it. I, I think it's just a better strategy to get that lift. So it sounds like that's what you're doing and you're doing it in an area you're, you were saying Toronto. I mean, that's not a, a cheap area. Can you run us through maybe some numbers of something that you're looking at currently or you're currently doing just so that we get an idea because a lot of things in Toronto, like your condo, if you were to buy a condo now and try to rent it and not do a whole lot of stuff to it, you're probably not cash flowing that condo. But when you're taking you know, a, a bigger property and you're converting it into multiple units, maybe that is a better strategy in, in the Toronto or other expensive markets where you, you can make it work. So what maybe walk us through something like that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I have a condo downtown, but I bought it at $285,000. If I had bought it at today's prices, it definitely wouldn't cash flow with maintenance fees and everything. And even when I stepped up, you know, looking at the triplexes, I built a brand new triplex um, with a laneway house. That's what I actually live in. Um, even that was, we were able to get it around a million dollars and I called it the million dollar teardown because we bought it for a million and tore it down to the ground. Um, and then we rebuilt a purpose built triplex. Um, so that one does well for us. But even after that, you know, I was kind of looking at the numbers and saying, I think actually I'm thinking a little bit too small. I think when we get into the $2 million price point for purchase, that's where you get into these bigger lots, bigger houses. Um, and a lot size depicts how much square footage you can, you can do in those properties. And we kind of figured out the formula is actually a larger property at a higher price point. So we're now we're buying in and around the two and a half million dollar range, spending a million and a half dollars on renovations. But in the end, we'll have a property that's probably worth around five million dollars and eight units that are generating revenue in much better areas on bigger lots uh, in, you know, close to transit and all those uh, all the things that tenants want. So 
when we kind of figured out the numbers around that, I was like, oh, I think this is the model that actually is going to work in Toronto. And to your point, there's, that's a reason why a lot of people don't do it. It's like the purchase price is two and a half million. You need a million and a half liquid for the reno or you got to borrow it, whatever. And those numbers work. You know, do you have the expertise to be able to take something from a single family dwelling and convert it to eight units? I think that's why, you know, a lot of people avoid the, the Toronto market because there's money to be made here, but it's just, it's a lot harder. Yeah, absolutely. And out of curiosity, what is one unit rent for roughly? So we've targeted around, depending on whether it's one bedroom or two bedroom, our one bedroom stuff, we've conservatively estimated when they're complete, they'll be around $2,300, $2,400 a month because they'll have all the bells and whistles. They'll be brand new in-suite laundry, you know, dishwashers, brand new appliances. The two bedrooms will probably go anywhere from, you know, twenty six to twenty eight fifty in that range, plus parking, plus utilities, all that. So, yeah. Now, are you refinancing with like an A lender, 80% loan to value? We're going to be commercial financing on the backside, which is also another reason why I wanted to get into six units or more, because now we're into commercial, commercial residential financing. It's a little bit different, a little bit easier in terms of they're going to look at the property. Uh, ideally, we're going to get financed with CMHC, which is the best finance you can get on the commercial side. You're looking at rates of right now, I'm being quoted 1.8%, 40 year amortization. You know, these are hard loans to get. They sometimes take a long time, but if you can get that, especially on something that's essentially going to be a brand new building, mm-hmm. you know, that's really going to help with cash flow as well. Okay. Now, are you closing then with private funds, your funds or or hard money in order to be able to do that and then and then go to CMHC at that point in time and and a commercial loan? Yeah, great question. Um, it's actually a mix. So I have partners on on all of the transactions. So I bring in equity investors. Uh, they put up the capital for the down payment, closing costs, and carrying costs during the renovation. Uh, right now, actually, one of our projects is going on the residential side. So we've got a residential approval, but they also do commercial on the backside. So the, the lender is actually going to do 75% loan to value on the purchase and 100% financed on the reno in draws, obviously, right? So they're not gonna give us that rental money up front. They're always gonna say at that 75% loan to value. And then at, on the backside, they wanna finance it uh, as well, but they'll switch it from a residential loan to a commercial loan. And then the other one, we are gonna probably end up doing some sort of private bridge loan, but then get it with something a little bit more stabilized through the renovation. And I'm putting in capital as well. Like that's really good for me to show an alignment of interest with my partners to say, look, I'm going to put in the reno money out of pocket until we get the first draw. And then I'll put the reno money before the second draw and the reno money before the third draw and so on and so forth. Um, so they, they definitely like that fact that I have capital and, and, and uh, money invested in the projects as well. They say that uh, the deals are harder to find, and I agree 100%, and money is much easier to find than people think. It's just a matter of the terms and the cost. And uh, so somebody that is you know, looking to do something like what you're doing, you know, where would you recommend that they look for capital? Uh, for me, it, it really changed everything when I started my YouTube channel. And, and I'm sure this changed a lot for you when you started your podcast. It's just people see you, they know what you're doing. Yeah. You're out there. I think that really changed everything for me. And it's, it's not that I wasn't working with joint venture partners before or raising capital. It was just on a smaller scale. And I was, I, I, I think I was doing a really good job. All my partners have been very satisfied, but I just never was able to raise the kind of money that I've been able to accumulate now. And I think a lot of that has to do with just 
being in the public eye a little bit more. I mean, public eye, whatever YouTube, right? It's not like it's the, <laughs> you have a show on HGTV, but you know, I think it does help with credibility and does help with people just putting a, you know, a face to the, to, to the things that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And actually I'm going to go back cause you mentioned public eye. So I was looking at your website and you have been on HGTV and you have actually been on TV. Yeah. Can you t- tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's funny. Like it was a, I started in, in theater, obviously. And so I, I had these, this, this uh, aptitude to be in, in the limelight, I guess, if you will. And when I finished theater and I was do, doing my renovation projects, somewhere along the line, I got connected with a casting director who was like, oh, you'd be great as a host for a renovation television show. So I auditioned for many, like probably, I don't know, 20 and, and got zero of them. And, uh, but then at one point I auditioned for The Goods, which is a CBC lifestyle show. I was auditioning to be one of the hosts. And uh, they, they said, you did great. Uh, not good enough to be a host, but we'd love to have you on as a, uh, as a regular guest. We'd love to have you on as a renovation expert, uh, our in-house renovation expert. So I started on The Goods. I was doing some of that. And, uh, and that was then uh, after two seasons of The Goods, uh, they didn't uh, renew for a third season. And then CityLine called and said, hey, we'd love to have you on because they'd seen me on The Goods. So that was kind of the progression. And, you know, the other stuff I was on uh, HGTV and, and the W Network, I was a contractor there as well. So it was just all kind of related to that one contact that I had made through theater. Very cool. Are you still doing that right now or are you focused on, on the investing piece? I just had a, like an audition for something recently. I mean, I, I just, there, it's like winning the lottery, I think in a lot of ways. I mean, I, it's not something that I focus on. It's something that actually through that same casting director, every once in a while, she just reaches out and says, Hey, I've got a project. Are you interested in submitting? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But my focus uh, primarily is obviously my real estate investing business. Right, right. Oh, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I mean, but just going back even to your, you know, you've mentioning the YouTube channel and like the podcast easiest way to get people to, I think, trust and get to know you and, and your integrity and your knowledge. And sometimes I get people that will come to me and it's really cool. Be like, I feel like I know you or like we're friends. I'm like, that's cool. You know, um, cause we, we're, we're on every single week or I don't know how often you do your, your YouTube channel, mm-hmm. but it is, it's an, a great way to meet people, but it's a great way to connect. And it's a great way to be able to say, you know, I've, I've got sometimes people reaching out and saying, I want a JV or, or whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, one of my biggest things was I didn't want to do it quite yet until I, I was done the nine to five job. Cause I needed to focus mm-hmm. on this stuff. Right. And so October 1st is actually my, my last day. Um, but just going back to, to you, cause you started and you had, uh, you know, a lot of other things going on at the same time when you started real estate investing. And I'm guessing that's what you're doing only right now. But when did you know it was time for you to leave your nine to five? I think it was a bit of a leap, you know, and I, I thought it was possible. Um, I just wasn't sure if I could do it, but I was essentially, I had a bit of a transition period where I, I, I finished a show that I had been doing for two and a half years. And I thought I'm going to take a bit of a break from theater. And I had a couple projects that I had been working on during that time. And I had also started working for other people as a contractor. And I didn't really like that. I didn't like working for other people. Their expectations were a little out of line and I wasn't making enough money. But I thought, why would I work for somebody else when I could work on my own projects? And that's kind of when I said, okay, the problem is I wasn't getting paid, right? I would, I would you know, use the burst strategy, essentially. I would buy something, I'd renovate it. I could renovate it for a lot less, 
So I could generally pull out almost all my capital on the refi, but I still wasn't being paid money to do the work that I was doing. So I had to figure out a way to be able to do that. And I just thought, okay, maybe it's just a simple thing where I don't know how to do it. And so I started getting a little bit more educated. And then once I got educated a little bit more, then I realized, okay, now I, I know how to wait. I know how to monetize this in a way that I can make money and continue to do this full time. But it took a bit of a leap to a invest in my education and my coaching and things like that. And then I, that was how I figured out a way to do it. So I could, uh, I could step away from everything else that I was doing. And it's, I've never, I've never looked back and I love, you know, I love everything that I do every day. What was like the, the biggest learning or the, maybe your mentor, a book or, you know, how did you learn everything that you learned? I mean, obviously experience is the best way to learn, but aside from, from doing it, was there something that you started doing before, maybe reading certain types of books or what was that like? I, I, there was, there was a little bit along the way. I read, I read uh, Don Campbell's book. I was part of rain uh, for a couple of years, the real estate investment network. Then I stepped away from that for a little while. Then I found Keyspire and Scott McGilvery and that crew. And then I actually went on the road with Keyspire and was speaking for them. And I think that's when I focused more primarily on my real estate investing as a business. And that's where things started to change a little bit. So I, I, but I, but I was constantly surrounded by education. I think it's just a matter of there's, there's also a point where you have to really make the concerted effort to actually listen <laughs> and do what the successful people have done. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I'm like, why am I trying to do this when it doesn't necessarily work? Why wouldn't I just do what somebody else has done? You don't have to recreate, you know, you know, the, the success formula when somebody else has already done it, just, just take what they've done and, and maybe make it your own and do the things you're passionate about. And I think that was where things started to change significant for, for me, significantly for me, because what I realized was I actually really love construction. I really love development. I really love all of those things. So I was like thinking about going and buying apartment buildings and stuff like this. And I think that's great. I think it's an amazing strategy. And I probably will do that as well at some point. But I realized I didn't actually like it. I was like, I don't really like doing, you know, super simple cosmetic renovations. I like going in and like creating something, building something. And so that's why I kind of went back to this idea of more of the development side of things than than just the, you know, the other side of things that, that maybe other people have been successful at. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing. And, uh, you know, as, as you said, like it's, it's over time, right? It doesn't take just one book, one course, but it's, it's continuous over time. And then just looking at people that are doing it. But I will say, when you look at people that are doing it, just make sure that they've done it recently as well, right? It's not like a 10 year ago type of thing, because so many things change every couple of years, every year. I mean, with what we're, what's happening right now with, with COVID and the economy, it's going to be changing probably every week, right? But, you know, definitely ensure that you're listening and you're taking advice from people that are, that are still in that market and that are still doing this strategy. Because oftentimes you'll, you'll, you'll hear about different people, but like what they've done was like 20 years ago, right? Which doesn't really apply so much anymore to today's market. No, absolutely. And I, and that's when people ask me about coaching and mentoring and things like that. I'm like, yeah, find somebody that does what you do and they're doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, attach yourself to those people because it's really important. I couldn't agree more that you have to have somebody that it, that's doing what, what, what you in a relevant time frame for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to what you said and you were liking the bigger projects and the development and, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it, 
it's sometimes it's a natural progression, right? You, you go into your, like, I mean, in your case, you went from condo to small multis, you doing bigger deals to development and, and conversions. And I mean, that's a whole different ballpark, right? And we could have a whole hour discussion on, you know, what the changes are and, and what to look for, but who are some key team, team members to have when you want to go into that realm of really doing that, those bigger projects, like other than the basic ones that you would have for, you know, small multis, who are some key other additional team members that you want to have on your expert team? Yeah, I think it changes a little bit with the scope and especially because we're doing multiple projects at the same time. And I, and so I have a partner that I'm working on with both of these transactions. Uh, Ilona Koziol is her name. She's been, uh, she's a partner with me on them. So we've, we've started together. We have our strengths. Absolutely. I'm more of the numbers person and she's very organized, very good at what she does in terms of just staying in contact with all the investors, with the, the lenders everything. I've, I've had to do that in the past and I'm, I'm fine at it. She's just much better at it than I am. So like you let people do what they're really good at and you mm-hmm. focus on the things that you're really good at. I uh, also brought in a construction manager as much as I would love to be there every day and be on site. I just will not have the time. And so I had to bring in somebody. So he will run both job sites at the same time. We built it into the budget that we can pay somebody full time to be there. Uh, and then of course, yeah, my, my lenders, um, I'm working with a couple different brokers just because each of these transactions is a little bit different. I'd like to get different opinions. Each broker has a slightly different relationship with different lenders. Um, I've worked with different realtors. Um, I have one lawyer, one accountant. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the standard power team. And then of course you get into these bigger transactions and now you've got to do phase one environmental inspections and, uh, you know, different appraisals are not, you know, they're not a standard appraisal like commercial appraisals. So that's a different set of people, but it's the same kind of um, formula essentially as the smaller transactions. It's just on a much larger scale with much larger numbers and much larger error, error, error margins, I guess. <laughs> bigger profits, <laughs> a lot more room for uh, yeah. <laughs> the, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> bigger risk, bigger reward. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. What about, I mean, um, not really risk, it, you know, like, you know, we, it, it's we, all calculated at the end of the yeah. day, but you know, there's definitely when, when you're doing something to your level, like you're, you're paying into it much more, the dollars are much bigger. And ultimately at the end of the day, the, the benefits or the, the profits are a lot, a lot higher, but it, a lot can go wrong a lot faster and it's going to hurt a lot more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what about like, um, an architect or an engineer or anything uh, like that? Yeah, great point. Um, definitely have a designer uh, that I work with who is also aligned with an architect. So we we essentially find the properties, acquire them, bring them in very early, actually, while we're still conditional to make sure that we can and do exactly what we want to do. So they'll walk the property with us. And, you know, we, we know enough about zoning now and regulations, especially in the city of Toronto, what we're going to have to go to committee of adjustments for, what we won't have to. Um, but they're a vital part of our team. And then they bring in everybody else. They bring in the engineers, they bring in, you know, um, HVAC and plumbing and electrical, you know, uh, designers, those kinds of things that are needed on the project. But essentially our designer manages all that. Okay. Now I'm, I'm guessing this is stick build. Uh, yeah, these are existing, um, you know, big brick homes essentially in Toronto that we 
gut out entirely. We leave some of the framing, the floor framing generally, okay. but there, yeah, then we do additions, um, extensions, and uh, usually top third floors as well to all of them. So right. that we essentially get four floors, right? We get, we underpin the basements. So we get a basement, a really nice basement, probably eight or nine foot ceilings. And then we get main floor, second floor, and third floor. So we get, essentially, that's how we can get eight units in the building. And so a question about zoning, because, you know, changing zoning is always a nightmare. Are you going ahead and doing that? Or are you hoping that what you're buying is already zoned for that opportunity? No, it's, it's already zoned for it. So in, in Toronto, our zoning, which most of Toronto is in our zone, um, it's zoned for, for, a, for an apartment building. Um, it's just a matter of what you're going to be outside the parameters are on um, for gross floor area, essentially. It's like, a, you know, it's a simple calculation. You take the lot size and you take the zoning bylaw, which says you can develop up to 0.6 uh, of the lot. So that's why when we have bigger lots, if we have the one we just bought is a 42 by 200 lot, that's a massive lot in the city of Toronto. That's 8,400 square feet. Now we go multiply that by 0.6 and we're around um, 6,000 square feet. So we can do about uh, 12 to 1400 square feet per floor. So that's a simple calculation. That's pretty easy to figure out. Now it's just a matter of, okay, are we outside the parameters on parking? That's a big one. You know, what's the building length? What's the building height? Are we going to meet all of those? And if we don't, then we have to go to committee adjustments. So it's a zoning variance, which is very different than a zoning change. Right. Zoning change. If it was, if it was zoned, like there are some zones in Toronto, like RD or RH or whatever they are, they don't allow for, for, for apartment buildings. But as long as it's R zoning, which is one of the very first things we look for, then we're usually in a variance, which can take anywhere from three to <laughs> three months to, to three years sometimes in the city of Toronto. <laughs> but um, at least it's a variance and it's not a zoning change. Got it. Yeah. So you and you mentioned three years or three years as as the higher end, but this stuff yeah. does take a while, right? And I'm I'm guessing you know everything that's happened with COVID probably hasn't helped speed anything up right now. No, we bought a property just in uh, August, and they had submitted their application for committee in February, and we are now get to benefit from them having spent all that time. We actually have a date in October. But the committee of adjustments process should take about three months. We usually did in Toronto. Uh, now it's anywhere from six months, you know, if, you, if you're lucky. And then what can happen is you can get neighbors or the city doesn't like your plan. So they can say, no, you need to come back to committee again, revise your plans, come back. So that could be another six months. I mean, I was joking about three years, but uh, one of our last projects, it took us a full year to get a building permit. So you have to be ready and willing to be able to carry or at least get have things happening on the property during that time. Because to sit paying a, a private loan at 10% on a $2.5 million project is going to kill your profits real fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking as you were saying that, I'm like, somebody that's getting started in that market right now, you're going to want a JV or you're going to want to, you know, have the cash to do it. It is going to cost, I mean, you know, like, let's just call it six to 8%, you 
you know, two to three points up front as a first mortgage, you're likely going to have to put 30% down, give or take. Plus, you know, I don't know if you've got the construction money, but this is not small, like 50K, 100K, $1,000 deals. Like these are got to have deeper pockets. So maybe something that, you know, somebody can do that has a little bit more ability to have cheaper uh, funding. As an example, maybe you've got somebody that you know that has some RSP or RSPs or tax-free savings accounts, and um, they can transfer that over to Community Trust or Olympia Trust, loan it out at little less than a hard money loan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely run those numbers and uh, and add, add time to it and add construction time too. I mean, even... Right now in this market, Darren, you, I mean, you've probably seen it, but like lumber is a freaking hard commodity to, to find. And, you know, it's, it's just everything is even I was looking for appliances. I had to call three, four, five different places to see what they had in stock. Like things are just weirdly just not being replenished. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And this is why. And I learned this early on is like contingency is your best friend in your numbers, right? It's like we build in right now, we built in 20%. It used to be 10%. So if I have a million dollar reno budget, you know, we need $110,000 ready to go. Well, now it's a hundred or sorry, $1.1 million. Now it's $1.2 million at a minimum. Because yeah, lumber's jumped, everything's jumped in, in price and trades are backed up and everything's taking longer. And so you got to carry the property longer. But I think this is the problem with a lot of people when they get into renovation or they get into wanting to do things like, you know, burrowing properties, they see you do it or me do it or whoever's doing it. And they're like, oh, it's so easy. I can do it myself. And then they try to do it themselves and, and they, they fail miserably. And then they never want to be a real estate investor again. Mm-hmm. And because they haven't really gone through the proper channels of, you know, getting educated or working with somebody or, you know, having a coach or whatever that is, I'm like, spend the money. It's not, it's like, it's so minuscule in the grand scheme of things to, to pay somebody to figure out how to do it properly. And then once you know how to do it, then you can repeat the process, but do it up front. Don't learn the hard way and, and then have to come back and wait five more years to recoup your capital so you can try it again. Yeah, absolutely. You, you might as well pay up front and learn from other people's mistakes. And I think that will come back tenfold and, and save you a ton more money in the long run. Even just like hiring the wrong contractors or doing the wrong renos or, you know, just buying the wrong property at the wrong price. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong, right? Estimating the wrong ARV. I mean, there's, there's so much, <laughs> so much absolutely. that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, I mean, we can keep talking, but the next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So, uh, Darren, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to give the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Uh, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> okay. Number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? I think it's a, it's such a cliche answer, but it's probably rich dad, poor dad. I think it was such a good book, you know, and I think it, it really just laid everything out very well. All right. Awesome. Number two, if you are a podcast listener, what is your favorite podcast that you listen to the most? Uh, I started with, I'll tell you one I started with, which was the best ever real estate investing show. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Joe Fairless. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Good. Good show. He does it like every single day. One every day. episode a day. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how he does it. <laughs> yeah. I've been on his show too. I know how he does it. He's like, boom, yeah, in and I, out, 20 minutes, <laughs> we're done. Like nothing. He like he batches them all. I know I was on his show as well. He does like yeah. eight hours of like one whole day of podcasting and he <laughs> has right. them like pre-recorded, I think for like six months. I'm like, I don't know. Like it's, it's already hard to do like two a week. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. But it's uh, good for him. Number mm-hmm. three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Uh, I, I, I practice yoga pretty regularly. It's one of my okay. favorite things to do. I love the, you know, the physical, I practice very physical elements of yoga. So I don't love the spiritual side of it. I actually like to get in there and sweat and do a workout, but I find it's nice to just, I'd never have obviously my phone in there. So it's nice just to disconnect for an hour or so and, and move my body and, and sweat and get a bit of a workout. Very cool. I started doing a virtual yoga as well, like one-on-one with a teacher, just as, as we were in, you know, isolation or whatnot, but I've uh, gotten into it myself as well. And it's, it's fun. And I, I, like you, I'm not like the very spiritual person. I, I like to just like feel like I worked out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Wow. Great question. I think I would, I would start differently. I think that I would um, probably get into private lending a little bit more. And uh, although I'd have to you know, do some sweat equity to get some cash. But once I did that, I think I would uh, definitely get into private lending and, and I would uh, probably look at things like wholesaling and things that, you know, you don't necessarily need a lot of cash or rent to own those kinds of strategies. Um, you know, I think that would be where I would go. I don't like necessarily love them, but you know, I think if it was, you were down and out, you would just do what you have to do to, to get back up. True. Awesome. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? Another great question. I think that um, for me, it's it's about what you're passionate about. I th- I always teach people in real estate that you have to you know have you have to like the strategy that you want to work on. So if it's fifty thousand dollars and you want to sit back and not do anything, then absolutely take that money, lend it out to somebody else at anywhere between eight and fifteen percent. Sit back and collect your cash, and away you go. If you love renos, I'm like, yeah, borough property, get in there. Uh, tear the drywall out, get dirty, you know, fix the plumbing, do all that kind of stuff. You know, if it's, it, there's just so many different things you can do. I would say mix the two things that you'd like to do and that you want to do. All right. Awesome. Darren, where can the listeners reach out and find out more about you? Uh, my website, darrenvoros.com, my YouTube channel slash Darren Voros, or you can email me at info at darrenvoros.com. Very cool. Any final last words of advice? Uh, no, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it's been really great. I, I love what you're doing and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been nice to, to get to know you a little bit over the last couple of months and, uh, yeah, thanks for, for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Darren. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that, and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster 
and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.